Welcome everyone to Be Better Betters. I'm the host, Spanky. Thanks for listening. My guest this week has been in the bookmaking scene at PointsBet for the last five years. He's worked his way up to become the director of trading and content, and he's only 29 years old. Incredible how much he's accomplished in such a short time frame. I'm so happy to have him on. Please welcome Jay Croucher. Jay, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me, Spanky. Looking forward to it. So, Jay, I like to start with how was life growing up? Yeah, so I grew up in Australia, uh, in Melbourne, uh, obsessed with sports from a young age. Uh, I learned my times tables and math through Australian football, box scores, and and all that type of thing. So I always, I guess, you know, I learned about yeah, math and sport through that lens, through you know probability. And I was always thinking about, you know, even before I knew what betting was, if my team was down three goals with 15 minutes left, I was thinking, okay, what's the likelihood they're actually going to come back and win this and that type of thing. So I was always thinking about sports through um, that lens. And I think that, yeah, lent itself towards, you know, ultimately getting into, into this industry. Was there any influence from any family members or anything? I know Australia's big in a racing game or, or you just kind of just, uh, you know, just kind of picked up sports on your own. No, I mainly picked up sports on my own. Uh, you know, I was close to my dad watching football and that type of thing, but not from a gambling perspective. Like I know a lot of Australians that have moved to the U S they had, you know, dads were at the racetrack type of thing. Uh, I didn't have that at all. I've never been to the racetrack with my dad. Um, but yeah, I just, I got into this through sports, through numbers. Um, but I got into gambling and betting probably at a later age, um, the most. Beautiful. So what did you study in school? Math? No. So I studied, uh, firstly, I did a degree and it's called an arts degree in Australia where I studied French and history, uh, which didn't get me very far. And then everyone who studies an arts degree, they figure out at the end of that, they have to do something that might get them a job. Um, So (laughs) after that, I did a law degree um, just because doing a law degree felt like, um, yeah, there'd be something at the end of that. And so I studied law, uh, which was a mixed bag, and then eventually got admitted to the court to practice. Um, I was never a very good lawyer. I was kind of like a Lionel Hutz type of operator. Um, wasn't wasn't my game. Uh, so I knew that I wanted to do something else, something that was more fun. Uh, and then points bet came along. Wow. So this is crazy. So, okay. So, you know, you're a bachelor of arts in history and French. Um, so, that, and then you realize, you know, that's, those are the, yeah, you know, those are the degrees my pops always told me that, you know, don't do that because you're not going to get a job anywhere. But, uh, but uh, you know, He's to right. get out of that stuff. Yeah. So not to try to, you know, downplay that. That's great. But then you wind up being a lawyer, which is incredible. Uh, you know, how, how long does it take to get a law degree in Australia? Uh, it was about four years. Uh, so I was, at, I was at university in Australia for seven years all up and, you know, I didn't really ever know what I wanted to do. I knew that I wanted to travel the world. So I was always traveling uh, during those years. I'd start every semester three weeks late because that was the maximum amount of classes that you could miss before you fail the subjects. So I'd go overseas every break uh, and then come back, kind of gut through uh, the semester and then um, and then keep the ball rolling. 
All right. So you're a lawyer. You know, you're, a, uh, you're not you're not you're saying you're not a power attorney, but you're still good. You know what I mean? Um, how do you go from being a lawyer to become a bookmaker? So in my last semester of law school, when I was finishing everything up, um, I just took a part time job at PointsBet, um, basically just as a college job. Uh, this was just a, in a junior trading role. Um, back then, PointsBet had like. I don't know, I would have been like the 20th employee or something like that pretty early on. And the founder of the company um, interviewed me. Um, he was very much into his NBA, asked a lot of in- ridiculously in-depth questions. Um, I remember in the interview, he asked me what Dirk Nowitzki's field goal percentage was that season, and I guess 45%. And, and he said, well, you're actually wrong. It's uh, 44%. I thought I gave a pretty good answer, but uh, apparently it was wrong. Uh, and so was able to get the job regardless and then settled into the trading gig, um, was trading mainly NBA, Australian football. And then I did that for about six months until I finished my law degree. And then I had to kind of make a call of whether I was going to be a lawyer uh, or be a trader. And then I kind of did both uh, through PointsBet, who, who helped me um, yeah, get accredited as a lawyer. I was doing some legal work for them. Um, but I still had kind of a basis in trading too. So I was kind of just doing both things and then was going to decide which one I wanted to do more and then, uh, and trading. It was honestly just a lot more fun. So this is great. I love these fork in the roads situations when you're in a part of life where I got the law degree. Um, I put a lot of time into it and, um, I could take that. That's what I wanted to be, or you wouldn't have went to law school. And now you're doing this just to make a little extra cash, but you got good at it and you're having a good time. You're now in a fork in the road saying, am I going to be a lawyer or a trader? I want to describe that moment. What happens family-wise, personally? um, How hard is it to make the decision? Or was it such an easy decision to make that there's just like, it's a no-brainer? It was ultimately pretty easy because uh, the opportunity came to move from Australia to the U.S., uh, at the time, uh, I was just married. We had um, our first daughter, who was 18 months, and just the opportunity to move to America. Uh, we moved to Jersey City, so to be right next to New York City. Um, you know, I grew up obsessed with Seinfeld and Martin Scorsese films and everything, so it was just a dream to move to New York. And then also just, you know, the challenge of, of building a team from scratch of traders um, that really appealed to me as well. And so all of these things... Um, just kind of made it a pretty easy decision to, you know, turn away from drafting contracts and sub licenses uh, to go and, and live, you know, in America, build a team and just be surrounded by sports. Wife was fully supportive. Yeah. Yeah. She was on board. Uh, yeah. She, she loved New York city as well. So it was a pretty, that was a pretty easy discussion. It wasn't really discussion at all. Wow. Awesome. I love it. That's great. Um, okay. So you make the decision. You, uh, you wind up coming now and, and in, let's describe before we go to the move that you make to the U.S., let's talk about Australia. What, what were your roles um, as a trader in Australia? Describe the day-to-day operations on how it was like um, being a trader at a sports book. Yeah, so in Australia, I guess the main difference there, bookmaking versus the U.S., is that racing, horse racing, greyhounds and trots is you know, 70% of handle or more um, versus sports. So that's a big difference. But at points bet, we started off 
um, when I joined, it, we were only offering a product called points betting. Um, and that was purely on sports and we focused on US sports. And, you know, for anyone who doesn't know what points betting is, it's not like fixed odds betting. Basically, the more you're right, the more you win. And the more you're wrong, the more you lose. Um, and so we were just trading that exclusively um, for, for, for my first six months or so there. And then we brought on um, fixed odds horse racing and then eventually fixed odds sport. Um, but my job as a trader, I was never on the racing side. Um, I was always focused on sports and it was mainly NBA and Australian football. Um, people are always shocked when I tell them this, but the biggest betting sport in Australia is NBA. Um, it's more popular than anything else. Um, you know, you can't walk down the street in Melbourne without seeing a Stephen Curry or LeBron James jersey. Um, so it's, it's at a perfect time of day as well where the games are on at, you know, 10 a.m., 11 a.m., local time in Australia. So um, while everyone's supposed to be working, they've got league pass open on their laptop watching NBA. Uh, so that was a, a big part of, you know, our trading operation of my role, of, you know, pricing player props, risk managing NBA, uh, and then also Australian football. Um, so, so that's where I started with points bet. Beautiful. For anybody that doesn't know, you know, the U.S. points betting is action points, what we call action points, where, yep. uh, you know, um, and anybody could just look that up. So, yeah. So, okay. So you're dealing action points, you're dealing fixed odds. How is it, you know, with respect to, um, you know, how do you, you know, what was the process like? Uh, making a number, dealing a number, moving a number? Like, how did you have a mentor? Did anybody teach you? Um, you know, I, I just, just, you know, show me uh, 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 how do you build up that skill level? Yeah, I think it's just the, the daily exposure to, you know, one, just discussions on the trading room floor. I think that's one of the best things about working in trading is is talking about, you know, say, you know, right now, Joel, Joel Embiid's MVP odds versus Jokic and Giannis, you know, just going, talking about what goes into that. What seed does Embiid need to get to win? What's the probability that the Sixers get a top three seed? What's the probability that Embiid wins MVP if they don't get in the top three based on historical precedent? And just talking about just probabilities through that lens on the trading floor. And then also just seeing what, you know, sharp clients are betting on and then understanding why they're betting on it, um, why they're ahead of the market. Uh, and then with points betting as well, it's a lot about, you know, understanding the difference between mean and median and understanding how uh, it is different from fixed odds, how there is kind of, you know, exponential um, growth in a lot of markets in their outcomes. Uh, so, you know, and we offer crazy markets in points betting. We offer, you know, Luka Doncic, his points multiplied by his rebounds, multiplied by his assists. And so you're seeing numbers where people are backing, you know, over 3,000 uh, as the bet. And so all of that, I think, made it a really good introduction to trading, just getting exposure uh, to a different aspect of trading and then, you know, learning about points betting first and then kind of fixed odds on top of that. Uh, but yeah, I think that's, that's the best insight I can give there. Beautiful. Um, so you guys, so points betting, well, did you find that more popular than straight bets, um, in Australia? No, no, it's not. Uh, fixed odds betting is, is still much more popular just because it's so much more known. Um, it's more mainstream. It's just easier to get a handle on points betting. This is something that we're constantly working on 
it's difficult to convey to someone exactly what it is and what it entails in you know less than 15 seconds uh, because just the idea that you could potentially bet you know a dollar on a market as your stake but then lose nine hundred dollars uh, because of the variable outcome it's just difficult for people I think to, to grasp that particularly if you're a new better um, but I do think that it definitely has a place and it has um, it will have legs in, in the US and it, and it has been popular in Australia, but it's definitely something that, you know, we want to invest more time and resources into as a product because we can get it better. But I think that, you know, it's just, just the basic concept of it is that, you know, it, you get rewarded for the more right you are uh, and it keeps can, you invested in the entire game. Can you just describe it just for the listeners that don't understand what it is? Yeah, sure. So basically say that, you know, um, in the Super Bowl, say that you back the Rams minus four points betting. And so, you know, if they say they won that game by, uh, or we'll give the fixed odds example. If they won that game by seven, 21, 40 fixed odds, it doesn't matter. You just win your bet. And same if they lose by whatever margin, you lose your bet. With points betting, say you have a $10 stake at minus four on the Rams and they won by seven, then you'd win $30, just three times 10. If they won by 10, you'd win $60 and you get rewarded the more right you are. So say that they're up by 21 late in the fourth quarter and they're driving, then you have a real investment in the outcome of that drive, whereas with fixed odds, you know that your bet is already home. So I think that there is definitely something there that's appealing um, to bettors. It's just a matter of, I think, the market and betters in general, just kind of understanding the concept as, as best as possible and, and us being able to educate them. And you still offer points betting today in the US? We do. Yep, we offer it um, on almost everything. Um, it is still, you know, people are still betting it, um, but it's not, you know, it, it doesn't stack up to fixed odds in terms of volume, um, but it is still there. And we have had, you know, particularly clients who have high risk tolerance, um, who are betting that and also people are just curious who can you know you can bet 50 cents on an NFL line just to kind of get um, a sense of what it is so I think there is something there beautiful okay so um you're you're, you're working it you're I love the way you said to, the, you learn the most by talking about different uh, uh, scenarios and going down different branches of decision trees to figure out different probabilities and make different lines so that's so great so um, the, the the call comes in now where points bets going to be coming coming to the U.S. You uh, you heed the call. Um, first impressions of coming to America, and um, after that, what's your uh, what's your impressions of booking in America, and what what's similar to Australia? What's different than Australia? Yeah, well, my first impression of America was that it took forever to get a social security number, and the administration here is. Uh, ridiculous but once we got past all that got settled in to living in jersey city um the focus was on building a trading team um and so once we got that you know up and rolling i think that you know initially the the main difference from you know the us um to australia is just that people just didn't understand betting as much um and it just wasn't part of i guess the parlance where you know, you, you need to explain to someone, you know, what a spread or a money line or a total is. Whereas in Australia, that's just part of, you, you know, that's just part of sport, really. Um, and I think that particularly, you know, three, four years ago, just, you know, terms like minus 110 plus 300. I don't think people, nearly as many people just knew what they meant. And now they're much more 
I guess, part of the sports vocabulary that just goes beyond betting. Um, you know, initially there was a heavy concentration on the core markets of, of spread money line and total, just because I think those were the easiest to just understand for betters. And now we're seeing a lot more concentration on, on player props and same game parlays and all this type of things. People are just more familiar and comfortable uh, with betting. But at, at first, I guess, particularly with client contact, um, it just showed a, a lack of familiarity with betting, which, you know, makes sense given that for a lot of people, um, you know, this was their first introduction to, to betting, certainly in a regulated form. Let's just say I wanted to apply for a trader position at, at points, but what is it, you know, what's the interview process like? What do you look for to be able to hire a trader? What's the starting salary, et cetera, et cetera? So I guess, um, you know, there is no definitive starting salary. Like it depends on what your background is, what your experience is. But in terms of what we're looking for, we're really looking for, you know, guys who have math backgrounds, who understand probability, people who have backgrounds in economics and finance, who understand markets, and then who also have, you know, a passion and knowledge of sports. We don't see, you know, 10 years working in the industry as a necessity to hire a trader. Often we like to, you know, mold traders ourselves. Um, and so long as, you know, you have an understanding of probability and you know sport, then, then you can be a trader. Okay, great. So when you guys came onto the scene, if I, just I remember correctly, you guys were, uh, you know, I remember uh, Johnny called me, Johnny, the CEO, uh, reached out and um, I talked to him and he goes, listen, we're trying to take on all customers. And, uh, you know, it's different here. We're ready to give you a fair shake and all that stuff. Who made that decision to kind of go that route? And, um, and um, what happened? Yeah, I think that, you know, we were trying to distinguish ourselves from our competitors. And, you know, when we came here, we didn't have brand awareness. Like no one in America knew who PointsBet was. Um, and so we had to, we had to have a point of differentiation um, and, you know, obviously we're, we're trying to do that now um, in certain ways that are probably more product-based. But, you know, initially we did try and, you know, reach out to, to sharp betters and, and do things like, you know, game day guarantee where we're guaranteeing, um, you know, 10K uh, limits on pretty much all pro sports on game day for, um, for core markets. And so, you know, that, that was the thought there is that, you know, we wanted to stand out, you know, we wanted to attract all clients. Um, and so that's what went into that. And the, the, you guys don't do that anymore. We don't have the formal, you know, game day guarantee um, that promotion, but at the same time, um, you know, well, on game day for pro sports, you know, we'll take those limits, particularly when you're looking at things like NFL on game day, um, you know, we're not going to limit clients to to lessen that on on main markets you know how how about nba like nba in the afternoon if i want to bet an nba game a points bet can i get 10 dimes yeah most likely will be on uh, you know leading up to tip off certainly um if there's no you know if joel Embiid is 50 50 and it's 12 hours before the game then maybe not on a sixes game but for the most part well let's just say the game starts at 7 p.m 2 p.m i'm just trying to figure out you know, I mean, <laughs> I used to have an account. I still do. I just don't, you know, I don't use it anymore because I was limited. But I want to find out because I think a lot of listeners, look, I, I, you know, I like Johnny and I think Johnny was a nice guy. And I think that you guys, you know, had the, 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 the right attitude to try to be different. 
Um, how about 2 p.m. on a game that starts at 7 p.m.? Am I guaranteed to get 10 dimes? I mean, when we're talking about guarantees, it's difficult to give set numbers. It depends, obviously, on the client, on the market, on the specific game situation. <laughs> but look, if it's a if it's a game where there are no injury concerns and everything, like, yes, for the most part, you'd be able to get that down okay. on an NBA side. All right. So, yeah, so, so that's good. So, like, you know, because I know you guys... You guys, uh, you know, l- let's talk about that because you obviously experienced uh, sharp work in um, in Australia. You know, you even said that you use the sharp to mold the numbers. Um, let's talk about bookmaking sharps in the U.S. and Australia. Did you find more sharps, in, uh, same amount of sharps in both markets? Are there more U.S. sharps? Um, how did that, you know, how was that? Was there any adjustment that you have to make? No, I'd say it's largely similar. There's always going to be, whenever you're putting up prices and markets, there's always going to be people who are picking the eyes out of them. Um, and I'd say that, you know, initially in the US, there probably weren't as many, but as, you know, people get, you know, they spend more time around gambling. Inevitably, um, you know, a lot of people get smarter at picking the eyes out of markets, particularly, you know, non-core markets. Um, so it's largely the same, same approach across both jurisdictions. And with respect to uh, with respect to booking sharps, do you guys you know you have your own software, and you're able to chart accordingly? How um, do you move, you know when it comes to charting? Um, are there are there certain guys that you know obviously you would move harder on than others? How you know who makes that call as a trader? Player profiling, I think that's such an important part of bookmaking. How, can you describe how that discussion takes place? Yeah, definitely. So, you know, it starts off with, you know, there is automation and reporting that gives recommendations around clients based on activity, based on, you know, all the things you would expect, beating, closing price, proximity, betting to jump, all of this type of thing. And then, you know, for clients who are betting in significant enough volume, then traders will, you know, manually review them as well and then make assessments on, you know, how sharp the client is, you know, how aggressively we move off the client's action uh, and all that type of thing. Um, I 100% agree. You guys have known to, um, there's a lot, you know, you guys, there's the, what they call bonus whores in a business. Guys that take advantage of bonuses and they think these bonuses are going to last forever and then they complain, look, they didn't, they took away my bonuses. Well, no shit, Sherlock. These bonuses are not designed for you. You know what I mean? So, like, I don't, people complain about that, which I don't, I, there's no remorse for that, obviously. Yeah. But when it comes to just regular betting, what decision is made and how far will you go to limit somebody? Because I've seen some severe limits at points bet. And, um, you know, we're talking, you know, you know, I think there's somebody that was literally, he told me I can only get a dime. I'm like, that's not bad. You get a thousand dollars. He goes, no, literally a dime, 10 cents. So, (laughs) you know, what happens here? Who makes that decision? And when is that decision the right call? Yeah, no, look, it's a, it's a fair question. I think that, you know, it is, it is trader discretion and traders are making those decisions. Um, And look, sometimes, if I see people complaining about not being able to get $500 down on an in-play Russian table tennis derivative market, then I don't have much sympathy for that. But at the same time, you know, sometimes our traders are too aggressive and they do make mistakes. Uh, And that's an education point that, you know, we should never be, you know, betting to nothing 
moving a price and then not betting at the new price. Like that's just, that's not what we want to be about. Sometimes, you know, we do make mistakes on that front, but, you know, I think that we are making strides in that area and where we've invested significant resources in getting our pricing to the point where we're more confident in it so we can take bigger limits across the board. Um, and that's definitely what we want to work towards. Um, you know, there are obviously across the industry, there are so many markets offered um, that there will be weaknesses in pricing. Obviously, we're going to have higher limits for everyone on the main core markets where we're most comf comfortable in pricing. And it's just, you know, it's on us to get the, the rest of the markets, um, particularly player markets, to the point where we're comfortable enough with the pricing um, that limits can more closely resemble that for the core markets. So you said it's trader discretion. Um, and I understand that. I, you know, the trader, you know, it's fine. But like, you know, like the one thing, and an old bookmaker once told me, you know, just write the bet, move the number. Um, that's usually the core principle. Just write a bet, move a number, write a bet, move a number. Um, you know, and then some bookmakers, yours, I remember having a, the spin out method where you guys, everything is subject, you know, when you, when you get in a certain profile, you become subject to approval. And, you know, and again, I'm just being critical. And, and again, this is just my opinion. So please don't take offense to this, Jay. I'm just, you know, telling you uh, how I feel. And I want to kind of find out what the philosophy is behind these decisions. But if you have a spin-out method where sometimes people are waiting, not just seconds, but it could be up to a minute or two to be able to find out if, they're, uh, if their bet has been approved or not. Um, is that ever the right call? No, bets shouldn't be spinning for, for that duration. And that's, you know, something that, we're definitely working on improving, you know, with our platform so that clients don't have to experience that. Um, and yeah, and it's obviously it's not a good client experience, particularly if it's coming in play where so much more of activity is shifting towards. Um, but look, we want to be able to bet clients to, uh, to known limits that are um, that and the bets getting on as quickly as possible. And so that's just, you know, on our end with the improvements that we're making to yeah to give all clients the, the faster experience. Some people say a minute is too long. We both agree to that. What if I say five seconds is too long? Tell me I'm wrong because I, I don't I, enlighten me. Is five seconds too long to wait to see if you have a bet on? Like what's happening in those five seconds, 10 seconds, whatever it is? Um, because oftentimes the trader will move the number without writing the bet. Um, and essentially using the sharp client's information to be able to use that without writing a bet, essentially using it for free and moving the number. Um you know, so that's never a good thing. Um, is there a move towards never having an approval process, never having the bet enter a queue and just writing the bet and moving the number? Yeah, look, I think that's the point that we definitely want to get to um, where we have, you know, the system and the software that, you know, we're developing to be able to, to get to that point. Obviously, we don't want to be, you know, if traders are, rejecting a bet and moving a number um that's and you know traders from time to time do do that that's not what we want to be about and that's a mistake uh and we want to you know educate traders on on not doing that on betting an amount moving a number and then taking a bet at the the new number um that's what we want to do uh but certainly like i completely understand the frustration with with spinning um it's not a good client experience at all um and you know we want to be able to get particularly in play 
where this is much more of a pressing issue because at that point, you know, the reality that you've bet on is moving further and further away with every second that the bet is spinning. Um, so we want to be able to, you know, reduce latency to the point where, you know, bets are getting on before it feels like waiting, which I think is around, you know, two to three seconds um, for imply. If once you get beyond that, it does start to feel like you are waiting and it's a poor experience. And so we're investing a lot in being able to, you know, to get to that point where all in-play bets are getting on, you know, in, in rapid time. So why not do it? Why not do it starting tomorrow? Like what's stopping you? Just tell me what the hurdles are. Why hasn't this been? I know you're saying you're working on it. Why hasn't been? Why hasn't it been done already? So I'd say there's a couple of things. I'd say first of all, just confidence with the data and the speed of the data, and to make sure that you know we're not behind reality with the the data streams that we're getting and the well, prices updating. Let's let's forget the in play part of it. Let's just talk about pregame. I understand the in play part, okay, but let's just say pregame. Um, why why is there bet delays placed? You know, why is there a spin uh, three hours before the game? Yeah, so I'd say that that is it's and you know every book is different and some books will have you know being bet to default limits and other books will have bets referred to trader um you know we have a combination of of both and the clients who are referred to trader like we try and have traders process their bets as quickly as possible but you know sometimes they will spin you know we want to get to the point where you know, our profiling is automated and our market grouping is automated to the point where, you know, clients are bet hard limits and they are getting their bets on um, immediately pre-match. Uh, and that's just something that, you know, we're building out with our platform and software. Uh, but that definitely is is the end goal. So the refer to trader, I've seen that. So let's just say, and, and I'm going to just describe exactly how, what I would do. And this is what probably most people do. I try to, let's just say I'm trying to bet five dimes on a game. It'll say, you know what? We're going to give you 12, you know, $1,275.67. But if you want to bet the additional $3,700 and change, yep. you got to refer the rest to the trader, uh, the whole thing. What do you want to do now? Most likely, you know what I mean? I'm going to, you know, it's like one of those things, which is a catch 22. Damn, I, I really want more than this 1200. But if I send this whole thing to the trader, I might lose that initial 1200. The trader might move the number and not give me any piece of that thing. I won't even get the 1200. So it's one of those things in which, damn, I don't want to accept the 1200, but at least I get the 1200, try to get the additional 3800. So it's just like a, it's like a no win situation type thing. Um, and I understand that you refer to a trader could always ask for more. Um, and, and again, this was just an extreme example. The, you know, the numbers I'm talking about are, are decent numbers. Sometimes these numbers are a lot less than that, where you're only giving, given a lot less. Um, referring to a trader, are the traders trained to write the bet always? Or when, when that happens, when they see a bet come across, are they looking at what the market is? Are there, you know, what is the approval percentage rate? And are you striving to get that to as close to 100% as possible? Yeah, absolutely. You know, what traders are doing when those bets are coming through, they're looking, you know, at the client, they're looking at the market, they're looking at, you know, pricing or whether there's team news that's affecting things. If people are betting, um, you know, heavily over on uh, uh, Tobias Harris market because Joe Embiid has just been ruled out, all that type of thing. Um, traders are, that's what they're assessing when a bet, you know, is referred. And obviously we want to get to the point where, you know, those decisions are automated and it's happening immediately. Uh, and that's really a system thing. Um, that that's awesome. No, 100%. Because for the trader to do that, 
when this is referred to trader, yeah, it's going to take time. And you got the guy sitting with his hand down his pants with, do I got a better not? And we're talking 30 seconds, 45 seconds. He's checking. And once it gets to 30, 45 seconds, let's be honest, the likelihood of approval is as close to zero as it can get. You know what I mean? He's not just waiting there 45 seconds to say, you know what? I'm going to give him the bet. No. Um, so you're right. I think that you want to strive to not even the, the, the refer to trader option. Here's the way I look at it. And I want you to tell me if I'm wrong and disagree with me. I'd love to debate it with you. Refer to trader is means that, you know what? I, I'm not confident with that line. Um, and that line might and shouldn't have been there to begin with. So if that line shouldn't have been there to begin with, why did you have that line up in the first place? You hang a number to take a hit. So if you want, if you wanted to write a bet at a different number, then why don't you have that different number up to begin with? You see what I'm saying? So the number is there and saying, have at it. Here it is. Why then say, oh, you know what? I'm going to lay that minus eight points. And, you know, and then the trader's like, oh, no, sorry. It's going to, you're going to have to lay eight and a half at this point. It's just not a fair system, Jay. And I hope you understand me being so critical of it. It's just not the right way to do business, in my opinion. That's what I'm saying. What do you, what do you say? No, no, look, I think it's fair enough. And I think that, you know, ultimately you want to get to the point where you have complete confidence in all of your pricing so that you can bet clients to hard limits and that that is a, it's a protection mechanism. Um, and it's something to, you know, protect, protect against, against stale pricing, against things that should be out to protect and um, cover against, you know, manual processes versus, you know, what should be automated in an idealized state. So definitely, I definitely sympathize with the frustrations on that front. And I, you know, I will say that, you know, we are, very invested in our pricing. You know, we bought Bannock Technology, a company um, for $43 million, you know, earlier, well, uh, around this time last year. And the purpose of that was to help grow uh, our in-play products, help develop our pricing sophistication so that we can have greater confidence to bet clients to more automated and higher limits. I love it. I love hearing that because think about it. It just makes sense. If you're buying a company for 43 million, somebody like Spanky should be able to get 10 dimes, no problem. You agree or no? It just makes <laughs> sense, don't man. it? That's like, the you point. Know, like, what are we I doing mean... here? It just it just makes sense, I think. But I, I love I love the direction you're taking this. You know, listen, you, you guys are uh, you know, in the US it's 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 different. And I, I know Johnny was always so nice, and I think you guys have the right idea, and I wish you nothing but success. I think that you know, eventually you guys are going to get there. And I think you have the right attitude to be able to automate everything and give people a fair pop. Now, this is, again, I'm speaking from the minority of sports betters, where this is what I do for a living. So sure, I'm speaking from a bias form. But do you believe this refer to trader mechanism sometimes is, is, is profiled on the wrong customer? And you're actually, that customer, you shouldn't refer them to anything. You should actually be giving them triple limits. You see what I'm saying? So it's, it's, it's kind of like you, you might make the wrong call here and profile him incorrectly. Um, does that ever a fear? Because why should he might say, hell with this refer shit. I'm just going to go to, you know, a fan duel or drafting or whatever. You know, does that ever cross your mind? Yeah, definitely. And the way it typically works is that, you know, clients are bet. Uh, they can be bet automated limits up to a point and then over that limit will be referred to a trader and it's incumbent, you know, on the trading team to be able to optimize, you know, what that point is, at which point it does get referred. But certainly, you know, I think we're aligned that the best possible um, client experience is just being bet a limit and that's the limit that you bet. And Beautiful. Yes. Uncertain. Yes. The refer to trader should be eliminated. 
that's ultimately do we both agree on that part I think we agree on it up to a point where I think that if you're automating taking million dollar bets, uh, that shouldn't be the case. Because of course that, not. At that scale. But yes. yes, I would say that up until you reach a threshold where it's a certain level of bet that it should be automated. I agree 100%. Yeah, just have a house limit. Like that's the most important thing, I think. And this is missing across the industry. Um, let's talk about that. House limits, you know. To know, you know, you have a standard house limits. Like you guys started off on game day, you're guaranteed to get 10 dimes, period. That's it. If you want more than 10 dimes, then you could refer. I like that part. But you're always guaranteed to get 10 dimes on game day. This is great. This is something that that's your limit. Now, if your limit is 5,000, no problem. Whatever the limit is, just stick to the limit and give it to everybody. And then, of course, your whales, your suckers, whatever you want to call them, recreational guys, you could increase that, but you should always have a guaranteed limit for everybody so you kind of know what you're working with. I think that's such a fair process, um, you know, that, that every bookmaker should employ. Tell me I'm wrong. No, look, I agree that, you know, transparency is, is what you want there. And I think that that's something that you get to when you have, you know, ultimate price, ultimate confidence in your pricing across all markets. You know, if we were to offer a, a set limit on uh, the player over under steals on the fourth guy off the bench, um, then, you know, you have to have confidence in the pricing of that to be able to do that. And, you know, and that is the the what we are working towards. Um, but yeah, certainly I agree that, you know, there is from the betters perspective, there's no downside to transparency. Great. And, and you're right. Listen, when it comes to props and all this other stuff, that's a different animal. Um, I'm just talking about meat and potatoes. Side total money line, like you mentioned, you mentioned earlier, this is something that, you know, you, you want to try to get that fixed. And then of course, worry about getting more accurate and better pricing because the stuff that the props, you're very vulnerable to that. Any bookmaker is that's, just, that's a very vulnerable part of a uh, part of his business. And that's where the sharps will eat you alive. I'm just talking about just regular meat and potatoes, side sodas, money lines in, in the major sports. And um, I'm happy to hear that that's what you guys are striving for. Let's talk about uh, media. You guys are, uh, you know, you say you're the, your, your title is the um, director of trading and content. Um, when did you, were you, old, did, did, is the content part new? Like, are you're not actively moving numbers anymore? No, I still have a basis in trading. You know, I'm still, um, you know, working with the trading team to, to price markets. I still sit in the trading room, still have a relationship with the traders and everything. But my role now is more focused on, I guess, representing points bet, you know, externally, particularly with, you know, our partner NBC and, and talking more about trading and, you know, talking about points bet and I guess educating people about betting. Um, and so, yeah, I think that's definitely become a bigger part of the US betting landscape. Um, certainly since I got here, it's my role kind of shifted about a year ago. Um, but yeah, that is definitely something that um, that is growing and that, uh, and that I'm spending a lot more of my time on now. I love it. I want to let's talk about some of the things that you guys did that were very unique um, that I've never seen. And I want to talk about the pros and cons. You guys had something called the bad karma payout. Or what was it called? Bad karma. Karma uh, committee. Yeah, the karma committee. So essentially, you're paying out both sides of the bet if there was like something crazy that happened at the end of the game or whatever. This was very unique at the time. A lot of a lot of guys were like, "Oh, how could you do such a thing? That's not bookmaking." And other guys were like, "That's genius." And other sports books actually copied what you guys were doing. So, um, and when other sports books copy it, you know it's got to be successful. 
whose idea was that? How did that come about? Um, any negative feedback on that whole thing? No. So it was, you know, Johnny and the team back in the, the genesis of that was what the 2018 uh, NFC title game with the Rams and the Saints, where there's that, that ridiculous uh, pass interference call um, that, that the Saints don't get when they're driving at the end of the fourth quarter, um, where the receiver just gets completely leveled out. It's the most blatant and obvious pass interference call there can be. Uh, and then the Saints, they go on to, to lose that game and, and not cover because they were favourites. And so we, we, we refunded bets um, on the Saints. And then, you know, we were able to generate a lot of positive PR out of that. Um, and look, I don't, I don't really understand how people can complain about that because all we're doing is giving people money back. Uh, I get, yeah, if it may be kind of, if it uh, goes against the essence of bookmaking, well, I mean, it's just us giving people money back. Uh, I think the issue now is that everyone kind of does it and that it might've not necessarily conditioned people, but now you might have clients being like, well, uh, LeBron fouled out when he shouldn't have fouled out and my Lakers bet lost. I was like, well, I mean, sometimes your bets lose and sometimes... Sometimes there are bad calls, um, but yeah, I think certainly early days for us that was a big part of you know us getting a bit more awareness in the US, uh, and now it's become a bit more of a mainstream kind of consensus thing. Well, listen, from a marketing standpoint, it was great, but 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 to be devil's advocate at the same time, the guys that 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 saying you know there's always gonna there's always gonna be that non-call. Of course, that was very blatant, but you know. Um, there's going to be times in which, like you said, people are going to be like, but wait a minute, you know, if it's all about bad karma, look at what happened in this game. At the final two seconds, this guy hit some a, a shot from half court and, and all this, you know, whatever. They can always make something up that how could this be? This is the baddest beat ever. Um, and then they come to you and, they'll, and you just, you know. Um, you're saying sorry that the bad the karma committee uh, will not be re- will not be addressing that game. Uh, so like you yeah. kind of like pick and choose, and it kind of it kind of uh, you know again just to be just tell me you know some some customers are going to be like shit. I thought this was all about bad karma. Are you telling me that it's not always going to happen, or you just get to pick and choose which game it was? Like what's this all about? Um, you know. So then you kind of um, condition like you said some of these betters to be oh man this is both shit i want my bad karma my buddy got his refund last week but look at this bad beat this has to be worse than what he got how come i wasn't hooked up yeah i'd say to that like we do get to pick and choose because we're giving back free money basically and so um that's the approach that i get that you know some people might be frustrated and you know the the common one is that you know someone bets on Nikola Jokic is over points and then he pulls his hamstring in the first quarter and they're like well that was bad luck on my part I should get my money back well it's like that's kind of that's part of the game and we pay out winning bets on the under who had under on Jokic and that's just kind of you know inherent in in taking the bet is that you have to account for injury and so yeah with that I'd, I'd say that you know we it's not you know that stuff is not trading that's marketing um no 100 percent. but you're but, but when you do decide to market and call it karma i'm saying the phrase of bad karma bad karma happens all the time like you said that first quarter hamstring pull the under players got lucky and they are they, they won and then the over players got went went that's how you know life goes on shit happens um that's the thing it's like you know i'm just again i'm not trying listen you're giving away free money who the hell's uh, there's nothing to knock but at the same time just to say that 
you know, was there any type of any other players that gave you a little bit of a negative backlash saying, what about me? Yeah, definitely. There's always going to be clients who are, yeah, wondering why a certain bad beat didn't get paid out. Um, but yeah, with that, it was more just, you know, it is, you know, picking and choosing our spots because we can't refund every single bad beat. And I think that it was, you know, hopefully taken by clients as, you know, when it doesn't get paid out, that's just the status quo and that's that's betting. And when it does get paid out, it's, yeah, just a goodwill gesture. So that's that, that's a great point. And, and you know, look, for somebody like me, of course, it'll be great. But let's face it, these are degenerates. Um, and these guys don't understand this was just a marketing thing and everything like that. These guys really believe, man, this is really bad. You know, again, I'm just tell me I'm wrong. But I think that a lot of the people that bet, and again, I don't want to insult the entire betting community, but a lot of guys that are losing and stuff that are going to actually come out and say, come on, man, how about me? Um, I just, you know, I don't know. It's just one of those things in which it could be a kit, like, you know, like I'm sure the customer service emails have to have been, could, could get flooded at times because you kind of set a precedent of, is this considered bad karma or not? That's all. Um, yeah. But, and I know. get it. And I mean, it's something where on the better side, like there's no downside for the better complaining about his losing bet. Either it's going to stay lost or maybe there's a chance that exactly. you know, someone looks at it. So yeah, Beautiful. I think that's just part of the game. I love it. I love it. This is great. Okay, I want to talk about. Uh, I want. I want to talk again about media. Um, you know, in the, an influx in um, just everywhere. You see, you know, let, let, I want to talk about the role of women, particularly beautiful women, models in this business um, that are that are you know pr- promote uh, producing content. Every single sports book, well, the major sports book, have one or two beautiful women that talk about stuff, that give out picks. You guys, I know, have one in particular. Um, you know, the girl, with the, you know, uh, well endowed and um, she flips coins and gives out picks. Everybody got one of those. What how, what is how important is that to kind of spread the brand and kind of uh, uh, put out their, um, uh, you know, that this is, you know, this is what we're all about. And, and this is important. Like how important is getting beautiful, sexy women to, to be ambassadors of the brand? I mean, I don't think that, you know, specifically looking for any trait and, you know, any of our brand ambassadors, I think it's, you know, whoever we think is going to, you know, represent us the best possible way and help us acquire customers and help build trust in brand, all that type of thing. We're not looking for one specific, um, you know, type of ambassador. I think that we're pretty diversified in that track. So, yeah, I think that it's just, it's a case by case basis. Beautiful, but the beautiful women, you know, everybody got a beautiful woman. So that's something that's, you know, a lot of people have athletes too. You guys have some athletes, don't you? Like, uh, I remember Alan Iverson is out. Is, are, was he still with you guys or no? I'm not. Yep. Yeah, still, Alan, uh, yep, Alan, Iver- Alan Iverson. I think that, you know, ambassadors like that, particularly when we were launching in the US, and I think I- Iverson was our first ambassador. And yeah, just being able, no one knew points bet was, but if points bets associated with, you know, Alan Iverson, one of the greatest and most iconic basketball players of all time, then it's going to help us, you know, establish that credibility. And, you know, that's what we're looking for with, you know, all ambassadors is to help establish credibility and then also, you know, appeal to their audiences naturally um, to help acquire customers. Well, listen, um, so I, I 100% agree with that. And I think that everybody, like I know the win has Shaq. There's always, everybody has different players and different things. And I think that, it's relatable and i think that was especially you know sex sells let's be honest 
Um, so, you know, everybody's going to go down that road to try to get the most attractive uh, people and the most recognizable people. Um, with respect to marketing, how do you guys believe, um, you know, you, you tried to go down that route of being different with respecting the, the, the $10,000 max. What's your, where do you guys stand? Because there's, you know, there's guys that have billion dollar marketing budgets from what I understand when I, when I um, interviewed uh, uh, Jason Scott. What um explain to me what you know what kind of marketing uh role plays into points bet to get their name out there even more? Yeah, I think look, our approach is that you know what we want to be known for and what we're marketing ourselves as is being based around product and speed. And because we think that, you know, obviously it's been well publicized, uh, the cost of acquiring and retaining customers, you know, in the industry and not being sustainable. What we think is sustainable is, you know, having the best product, having the yes. best app. That's why we bought Bannock. That's why we're, you know, we're working with, you know, now they're a part of PointsBet. That's why we're investing so many resources in, you know, having the best in-play experience so that, you know, you can get bets on, you know, in sub three seconds in having the best prices. I love um, it. You know, I love it. Product is the only thing that's that's going to sustain. Yes. Um, and so that's what, that's what we're, you know, wholeheartedly focused on. Jay, I could not agree more because I think that all these guys are spending so much money on marketing and yet their product is outsourced or they're doing this and <laughs> they think they could just, you know, ride along. But at the end of it all, when all that marketing is spent and everything, it's going to come down to the product. And I love it. Product and speed. Speed, very important. And I'm telling you, man, that subject uh, sent to trader shit that's contrary to this to the speed so get rid of that bro i'm just giving you listen i'm i'm again i'm just uh, what do i know i I've, I've just been betting for 20 plus years but i don't know how it is to operate on your side but i think that uh send to trader part is is, is not a good thing um when it comes to speed to, to maintain that speed part if you want to maintain and make the best product the user in this day and age, we're in an age, internet age where guys just want to know instantaneously if they got a bet or not. So I think that's very important. Um, the send to trader be eliminated for the most part. I hope you yeah. agree with me. And look, I think, no, I agree. I think that, you know, that and the the spinning time, particularly in play, even if it's not spent to trader, even if it's just the bet delay before your bet gets down after you submit it, yes. you know, reducing that as much as possible because it is, and, you know, I think this is, you know, industry wide across the US, um, you know, including ourselves, like the implied betting experience can be, get so much better. Um, you know, right now, the fact that, you know, if you are having to spin for five seconds, that's just too long. Uh, and so that's why we're focused on, you know, getting that to, to three seconds or less, um, you know, the most latency will allow and just creating the fastest experience possible. This is beautiful. I'm loving this. I love. I love your vision. I love where, what you're thinking about getting there. And look, I'm. Uh, I, I stopped playing a points bet, but I think I'm going to have to redeposit at this point after talking to you about this because I think that you guys are uh, are on your way. Is am I welcome to redeposit it? You know, you're welcome to redeposit, Spanky. Yeah, just don't bait us too bad. No, dude, I'm just trying to. You know, I got to wet my beak a little bit, just like everybody <laughs> else, man. Everybody got to have a taste. Okay, great. So, so. Uh, where do you see now? This is great. I love the product, the speed on where you're going, Jay. You know, you're 29 years old, man. You're a young, young chicken, uh, as they say. And, um, you know, it, it just the, you have your whole life career ahead of you. This is incredible. I've never, I, I think you might be one of the youngest 
director of trainings, I think, ever. Like, who gets, how did you get, like, you know, like, you know, what's happening here? How did you get such an unbelievable high-level position? Um, you either got to be really good, uh, you got to be a professional bullshitter, or you got to be, you know, a little bit of both. How, that's just, like, really, like, it's amazing. I'm all, so, so much respect for that. Yeah, I think uh, I think when I was 26 and the head of trading, we would tell all media outlets that interviewed me that I was 33. Um, so I guess I'm technically 36 now. Um, but yeah, look, I think that it's one of the good things about you know working at points, but is that you know it did have the startup feel certainly at the start, and the people who worked hard and who were good at their jobs were able to progress on merit, you know, pretty quickly. And that's you know still and also able to move around like I was a lawyer for points bet and I was the head of trading and now I go on you know tv and media outlets representing points bet like I don't think there's many companies in any industry where you're able to do all those things I was able to move to the U.S. with my family um so I think that you know all those things have been pretty incredible I think I've been very lucky and you know in the right place at the right time for a lot of things and I've obviously worked hard and, and all that type of thing too, but um, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad I am where I am now. I'm telling you, know, listen, it's just amazing. I think I all the credit to you, man. You've you know you're uh, I, I you know you you're, you've been I've seen you on so many different media outlets, um, on ESPN and, and, and Sports Illustrated, and you know on so many different TV shows and stuff. So you've been around the points bets names out there, and um, and all the credit to you trying to bring that name to to uh, and trying to be open to try to be able to. Um, to take it to the next level. Um, I want to talk about, go back to just the touch base, because I think that an important part about building the best product and speed is to be able to have the best clientele. Um, meaning when it comes to clientele, meaning uh, the, the, the talented bookmakers, talented traders, as they say, um, because you're only as good as the people moving the numbers for you. Bookmaking, in my opinion, is an art form, and I've seen some of the world's best um, face, and I've played it to some of the world's best. Um, is there a, a, a point to try to be able to acquire some of the best bookmakers out there? You know, do you believe that one senior trader um, that's getting paid half a million dollars a year is better than 10 junior traders each getting 50 dimes a year? Yeah, I think it's definitely worthwhile investing in. And, and obviously, you know, if you have a few absolute guns who are experienced and then they can help trade up and mold junior traders who are coming off the street, who have backgrounds where, you know, they understand markets and probability and they know sport and they love sport. And then you have these people overseeing them who can teach them about the industry and can help them, you know, generate that feel for betting um, and kind of teach them the, that language then obviously that only has positive ripple effects, you know, across your entire business. And, you know, I think that, you know, we're, you know, we're growing out our team. Um, we have, you know, more expertise in, in certain areas than others. Like I think that, you know, our, um, you know, our MBA traders, I think are as good as, as anyone, um, particularly with how they view. And look, you know, for the most part, like MBA lines and totals, everyone ends at the same number, but with like futures markets and player markets, um, awards markets, that type of thing. Like I think our traders are the best in the world. Wow. Um, and that they can teach other people as well about 
you know, and it's really like, it's fun. It's fun. Like the stuff that we were talking about before, you know, talking about, you know, how you get probability, um, you know, in these markets, how you look at historical precedents to inform future pricing, how you look at the things that typically win awards, uh, how you can factor that into your pricing for the current season, all that type of thing. Like I'd stack, you know, our traders up against anyone in that front. And obviously that's, you know, that's one, you know, small element of, of trading and a trading team, but you know, in that regard. Um, and also we have, you know, lots of other strengths through across the team with expertise, but yeah, I think that, you know, investing in a trading team, um, it has so many ripple effects to, to client experience, to limits, to speed, um, obviously to accuracy of pricing. And it's something that is, you know, definitely worthwhile, you know, investing into and, you know, taking some of the, gargantuan marketing budgets that are out there and putting it into trading um, and teaching people how to book make and teaching people the art of that, um, I think is definitely worthwhile. Uh, you said, that was music to my ears, that last sentence. That last line, when you, these guys spend so much money on marketing, you just got to take a sliver of that and put that money into talented bookmakers. And, you, you know, the business will just take off because you could write more volume. You could be more confident. It's just, it's just, you know what I mean? You get rid of that spin out shit, everything, everybody's just, you're right in business. And I think that if you take it to that level, um, it's only the sky's the limit. I really believe that Jay. And I think that um, I really, I'm cheering for you guys. And I hope that you guys uh, take things to the next level. Yeah. And I think look like a lot of, you know, the client experience stuff we're talking about, um, you know, with having high limits with booking all clientele, all that type of thing. Um, you know, I think it depends a lot on scale and, and volume to make those things worthwhile to be, you know, taking the bets and moving the numbers, but you need also to have the scale to have people bet on the move number. And so, you know, there's, there's no point us taking a $500,000 bet on a Glenville State first half team total under because we're not going to get the volume the other side. Um, but as we continue to scale, as we get into more states, as our product, you know, continues to develop into, you know, what we think will be best in class and the fastest product out there, um, then all of these things become a lot closer to reality. I'm loving it. Well, listen, uh, you got me as a fan and I wish you guys nothing but the best. <coughs> Excuse me. So Jay, the name of the podcast is called Be Better Betters. Um, Usually I like to end off with maybe you could give some advice on some guys that are betting up and coming sports betters, even pros, semi pros, even novices, guys that just want to, you know, become a better, better. What could you give them some advice, maybe a bit of advice uh, that you've kind of learned um, along the way? Sure. So I think the area that, you know, I'm probably spent the most time on in terms of odds making is, um, is around futures markets. Um, just because I find that that's where there is the most differentiation between books, you know, in the market that with core markets, most books end up around the same place. Um, I would say, so two pieces of advice. First, if you're betting core markets, bet them early naturally, because the prices by game time are going to be a lot more solid um, and that there are vulnerabilities earlier in the week and that, you know, and obviously limits are going to be smaller, but particularly if you're cutting your teeth, you know, you can look at an NBA game 36 hours out and if you're smart um, and you have a system and you have a model that you trust, then there's a very good chance you'll be able to win um, on those markets, particularly before the market is firmed. 
And then my second piece of advice would be to, you know, mainly is to just to study where there are differences in the market and then try to understand those differences. And, and the reason I brought up futures markets is because that's, um, you know, generally where I've seen the greatest differences and then understanding why there are those differences and then picking it apart and, you know, using all the resources that are available, you know, all the public models, if you don't model yourself, um, all the information that's going into there and then understanding those differences and then, yeah, and then getting down um, on the prices that are wrong. Um, so I guess those would probably be my main points um, is to, to bet early and to, uh, and to bet and to understand why there are disparities in the market. I love it. Bet early and look for those discrepancies and, and exploit them. What a great advice. Can't go wrong with that. You do that and you do that well, um, you're well on your way. You might even put me out of business. <laughs> um, but Jay, you're the man. I appreciate it. Um, and I uh, want to let everybody know out there that Jay will be coming to Bet Bash uh, in April um, uh, in Las Vegas. So, Jay, I appreciate you uh, coming out. I'm looking forward to seeing you and um, knocking a, a few drinks down together. How does that sound? Sounds great, Spanky. Looking forward to it, mate. Should be great. Oh, it's going to be a blast, Jay. I'm going to buy you. Um, I'm going to buy you as many drinks as you want at, <laughs> at the open bar, of course. But I, pre <laughs> I appreciate it, brother Jay. Thank you so much for coming on. Such a pleasure. I know I asked some questions again. Listen, man, I'm 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 trying to get you know get you guys to the next level. I want this industry to be sustainable. I want this thing. I want. It'll be an ideal for me that every bookmaker takes a bet, writes a bet, and um and, and is accepting of all customers. And that's what I'm trying to do. So you know, if I asked you some questions and you answered them really nice very honest, very open. I know, I understand your vision. I hope that you guys get to that vision and get to where you want to be. And I hope that, and I thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to have this chat. And I appreciate it, Spanky. Um, all good with the hard questions. It's good to, uh, it's good to go back and forth. Uh, and yeah, and learn from, you know, certainly from the better's perspective, um, you know, what we can do better, what we can improve upon. Uh, and then, you know, hopefully the next time we have a chat, uh, we will have made some of those strides. Uh, but yeah, thanks it. for having me on. I can't wait. Thank you so much for the time. Until next time.